Welcome to the fight with Teddy Atlas presented by Dynamic Striking. I'm Ken Rideout, joined as always by the voice of combat sports, the great Teddy Atlas. Teddy, busy weekend. How'd you like it? Good. Uh, 27 pounds, by the way, Ken. That's where I'm at. You look great. Get that out of the way. Just get that out of the way because I know the fans are dying to hear where I'm at on the scale. And that's where I am. Three pounds off from my target weight. But to get to the fights... Um, if we're going to start with the boxing before the UFC, we should start. And I was going to tell Rob this to get a caption, you know, because he does a real good job with this stuff, with the artwork. And, you know, if I want to film up a, a clip up or, you know, any kind of, uh, you know, whatever caption, as I said, I'd like to start. And I wish I had a prop here of this, but I'd like to start with handcuffs. Because I really, I want to start with handcuffs. No, you guys out there, I'm not getting kinky craziness that with that crazy, no. It's nothing like that. I just want accountability and what I think is proper in my sport that I love, boxing. And I think handcuffs are what this week calls for for Glenn Feldman, the judge in the Joshua Uzik fight. Yeah, you, you gotta pay Sam. You gotta pay handcuffs. Uh, I mean, I wish my grandson was here. He'd give me his make believe one. I had my old, um, I had my old prison guard uniform and handcuffs that I could have brought for a prop. Had I should have. I would have come dressed I'm, as a police officer. I'm so sorry that I did not. Um, but we made the most of it without the prop. Uh, I. That's what we need. We need handcuffs to start because. We, we got to get rid of judges like this. And that's the problem in our sport. There's no oversight. There, there's no repercussions. I mean, this guy will be working again next week. <laughs> I mean, it's absurd. But I digress, not regress, uh, by the way. I'm not going to regress this week, Ken. I'm going to digress. I know my fans, our fans, love when I, <laughs> when I play games with the English language a little bit, a little bit. Um, but I, I will regress instead of, uh, digress instead of regressing or recessing. I will recess right now to, to my man, Ken. All right. Well, let's jump into the main event. Anthony Joshua in spots looked great. I mean, in the ninth round, he looked as good as he's ever looked. Usyk's just too much. I mean, I think it, for as much credit as Joshua gets for looking unbelievable in round nine, I give Usyk even more credit for being able to adjust, recoup, make the adjustments that he needed to against Joshua, and basically come out and completely dominate him the rest of the fight. At the ninth round, I thought, oh man, Usyk's running out of gas. And Gas tank was a big topic this week, and we'll talk about it in particular with regards to the UFC. But I wanted to know from you, if you think, I think sometimes, this is my impression, is sometimes guys run out of gas and you could tell they're tired and we'll, we'll talk about Rockhold later, clearly exhausted. There's other times like Regis Progray against Josh Taylor where, and we talked about, I talked about this with Regis, where it looks like he's out of gas or he's lacking confidence in his gas tank. It's not that he's necessarily out of gas. And Joshua looked like he just couldn't keep it going in the 10th. And I wonder if he was out of gas 
or if he was so nervous that he'd run out of gas and become like Luke Rockhold where he could barely keep his hands up, that he doesn't overextend himself. And uh, look, the fight I thought was as entertaining as a heavyweight fight gets. Obviously, you like to see some finality in a knockout that always gets... uh, that always gets big approval from the fans, but I thought this was a masterpiece in heavyweight boxing and just craftsmanship, especially from Usyk. And like I said, AJ looked good in spots, but at the end of the day, Usyk did exactly what Usyk does and outboxed him and just showed what the sweet science is all about. With that, Teddy, I know you. I know you have a lot of things to say about this one. Let's hear it. Well, sometimes guys punch themselves out, and and they. You know, and they have to get that second win. But sometimes they do. When they have a big round, you know, they push the metal, uh, the pedal to the metal, and sometimes they exhaust the gas tank for a moment. But then they replenish it. They refuel, you know, because they get that, they, they have that real conditioning where they can do that. Um, that might have been it. And sometimes 75% of this game is mental. So sometimes it's to what you touched on. And when you were talking to Pro Grace, who's a tremendous fighter, and I think he's going to be a f- champion again, uh, I think he'll win that fight that he's got coming up. But, you know, sometimes it's mental too that you don't have confidence that you have enough left after spending a lot of it, you know, after spending a lot of your money, so to speak. You don't know if you have any left uh, to go shopping again. And uh, you still have to go shopping because there's still a couple of rounds left. So uh, sometimes it is a mental thing where you don't have faith uh, and and you're, you're a little hesitant. And it shows in your body language. It shows, you know, a guy who's lacking confidence, the body language will, it, it will kind of, uh, it, it, it will show. And it will kind of, uh, you know, it's kind of like a light detector test. It, it, uh, it'll beep on you and, and show that, yeah, he, he's not in charge anymore. He's not feeling like the boss anymore. But I, I think that as much as Joshua had that big ninth round uh, that everybody's been waiting for from him in these fights and, you know, showed what he had to show to try to pull it out of the fire because he was way behind unless you go on the corrupt judge's card. He was way behind on my card. I had it the final score nine to three. I, I could I could see someone saying eight four, but I had it nine three. Nothing short of eight four. I wouldn't For the record, Feldman had it five one for Joshua halfway through the fight. Yeah, I mean I think he was doing his job. It's not the job exactly. that we want people to do, but it's the job that somebody else wanted them to do. You know, it's not the job that the laws want him to do, that his profession wants him to do, that the that the uh, boxing sport wants him to do. Uh, that that the, his integrity should want him to do, have some integrity and be honest. Yeah, it's not the job that he's paid to do. I think, oh, maybe it is the job he's paid to do, but not the job that professionally by the sport of boxing he's paid to do. He's paid by someone else maybe outside the sport or maybe inside the sport um, as a side thing or or taking care of in some way. Uh, Something influences him. There's something going on. Like Cosimato would say, it's either incompetence or corruption and I don't think anyone could be that incompetent. 
Uh, I really don't. Cuz used to say that too. So then you have to go with corruption. And it happens too often. You know, it's kind of like going to your butcher and your butcher keeps weighing you, you know, uh, a little bit light, you know, where you're paying for less than you're getting. And he never weighs you heavy, you know. I mean, after a while, you got to say, wait a minute, this butcher's not honest. You know, if he weighed me heavy once in a while, I'd say, okay, it's an honest mistake. But if he keeps weighing me, if he keeps weighing, you know, that it's, uh, that it's a pound of meat when it's only a half a pound, I got to start to wonder about my butcher. I got to wonder about my judges when they, when they do this crap. So I think at the end of the day, you have to be, really the fans too, you guys have a responsibility too. Uh, and I give credit to our great fans across the pond that you up in arms about this. You got to be up in arms. Yeah, yeah, really. Yeah, the fans out there, when you don't say nothing, you're almost part of the problem instead of part of the solution. You got to say something in any way you can because otherwise it's going to happen to one of your guys one day. You know, it's going to happen to a guy that you love, that you're behind one day. So it's just something that we we can't just say it's boxing and shrug our shoulders. We, we have to try to do anything, you know. And, and me talking about the corruption in sport, it lost me a job at ESPN. All right, I'm not telling people to lose their job and do what I did, but uh, you got to do something. You got to do it within your comfort level, but you got to do something uh, if, if you care about such things. Otherwise, you can't complain when it, when it goes the other way against your guy. And getting to the fight again, yeah, Joshua did what we were waiting for him, or people were waiting for him to do finally with the smaller guy. Uh, take charge. Go to the smaller body of the smaller man, which I was saying you have to do in the fight plan. Uh, I was talking about that. I was talking about it when we were handicapping this fight. Uh, but Usyk did what a champion does. He came back in the next round. He behaved the way champions behave he came right back and listen i give credit to joshua for that round but i also look at things in a more i think just in a more straightforward way than some of the fans do where you get you get caught up that right away that everyone's saying and the writers too oh how much better joshua looked I didn't think he looked any better. Yeah, he went to the body in the ninth round. Okay, but I for the other rounds, there was one guy that was stalking and posing, looking, 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 looking. And there was another guy that was boxing, pot-shotting, countering, winning. Winning rounds. That was Uzik. And I added 6-1 uh, after seven rounds. And then finally, the eighth round, Joshua broke through with that round. He started going to the body. And then he had the big ninth round, obviously, uh, where he hurt Usyk and, you know, really had him in trouble. And then Usyk responded again, like a champion in the 10th round. Then the 11th round, again. Uh, and then the 12th, he, he finished. Joshua, how do you give him credit for being that much better? First of all, I thought he was, 
I thought he lost even bigger on the scorecards than the first time. Yes, again, for you haters out there, I'm giving him credit for going to the body finally, for being aggressive finally, uh, for being the boss finally, for acting like the bigger man finally uh, in the ninth round. But the rest of the fight up to that point, he was way behind, unless you go to a crooked scorecard. He was way behind. So I look at that too, and I... I detract from him in that. I don't give him credit for that. I say again, he was posing, he was stalking. But the guy that was boxing, the guy that was scoring, there was one guy. That was the guy from the Ukraine. That was the guy who made his country proud. That was the guy who gave his country, you know, hope by, by saying, yeah, we're fighters. Yeah, we're champions. Yeah, we don't give up. Yeah, we're still here. Yeah, I represent you. And... I thought it was, listen, I thought it was a one-sided boxing match up to the ninth round. So he had the eighth and ninth. All right. Again, 10th round, what does Uzzik do? He wins the fight. He wins the fight. He goes, and Joshua had a chance to close it out in the ninth. He didn't close it out. Uzzik comes right back. You know, he, he, he just... He claims victory right there by doing what he had to do. What did you think on the 12th round? Because Feldman gave uh, Joshua the 12th round as well. Well, I think that it's a... I think, like I said a few months ago, and we got a lot of we got a lot of attention for it, you know, where it was an anatomy for a fix instead of anatomy uh, for murder. And Rob put it up the way I wanted to put it up. It got a lot of views, a lot of attention, uh, I think this was anatomy for fix part two, where you do what you got to do if you want to fix a fight. You get your guy way ahead. He got him way ahead. And and he had to really do some bad, dishonest judging to get him way ahead. I had the first round. Uh, I After two rounds, I had a 1-1. After two rounds, I had a 1-1. But then after that, I didn't give another round, as I said, to the eighth round. I had it six to one going into the eighth. It was all the boxing lesson, the sweet science, as you said, being delved out by Uzik. And then, and, and then, of course, we get to the eighth and ninth round. I thought that the judge, Feldman, who, who had it un- incredibly for, and very, very upsetting to see this, had it for, you know, Joshua... I thought that, again, you're going to fix a fight, get your guy out in front, and then play with it. Play around with it a little bit. Play, play, keep it close, but keep your guy ahead. Play around. So he played around, and then he got, he got caught up, Ken. He got a little caught up a little. He, got, he almost got in trouble because oh, he wins. He goes and wins the eighth and ninth you know, Joshua, which is good for Feldman, the the crooked judge or the incompetent crooked judge, whatever he was. Uh, he gets it, he gets it wrong. I mean, he gets, he gets a chance to go down easy street and the, the eighth and ninth, okay, give it to, to Joshua, of course. So now he's, he had to fight fairly close because he had to keep it close and all of a sudden, bang, he doesn't expect Usyk. Nobody knows if he's going to do it. But Usyk behaves like the champion he is, the fighter that he is, the 
mentally tough guy that he is, and he comes back and wins the 10th and the 11th and the 12th. And every other judge, the other two judges had it that way. They had it that way. The way I had it, the way you had it, the way most of our fans, I would say, probably had it. But what happened was this judge, Feldman, he says, oh my God, it's close now. I have to... (laughs) I I have to give the 10th round to Uzik because if I don't, you know, everybody will know what I'm doing. The gig will be up. I have to give that round to him. I have to give the 11th round to him. And all of a sudden, he's looking at his scorecard, and it's a draw. It's going to be a draw. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a draw if he goes again and gives the round in the 12th to the man who won it, Uzik. He says, oh, even though it's been all one-way traffic, I got I got to change. I got to go against the traffic here. I got to save. I got to save my card. I got to do my job here, <laughs> and and I got to give it now the twelfth round to 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 Joshua because I got I got myself in a corner, and I I'll be damned if I'm going to be left in this corner. Uh, not not after working so hard all night to get this thing done the way I want to get it done. No way. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna get out of this the way I need to get out of this and the way I intended to get out of this. So he got jammed up a little bit. Again, when that when Uza comes back like a barnstormer in that tenth round, he can't do a damn thing but give it to Uzik. I mean, you know, the the they'd be bringing the United States Marshals in if he gave it if he gave it to anyone else. You know, Feldman after having it so one sided early was probably praying for an Usyk knockout so his card wouldn't be so scrutinized because he had a to know oh, I'm knockout. gonna get a Joshua knockout. Uh, no, even no, but even Usyk because if Usyk gets the knockout, he's like, oh shit, I'm off the hook. My scorecard isn't gonna matter. Well, yeah, he has that's to know true. I'm gonna get killed for this. That if was, Steve yeah, Gray, if, if the that's judge true. who had it 15-13 for Usyk scores one single round that he didn't give to Usyk for Usyk, maybe the 12th, pick a round. All of a sudden, it's a draw because he's got a win. Uh, Feldman's got him winning. The guy, uh, the Freshenko, has Usyk, and Steve Gray's card is separated by one round. One round, all of a sudden, it's a draw. It, we've, we've got a, a, a draw. Yeah, and one again, for Usyk, one for AJ, and a draw. And and a draw, a, and and see, Feldman wasn't going to have a draw because a draw don't get him across the finish line. You know, right. if his guy was champion, then a draw keeps the title for him. But in this case, yeah. a, a draw keeps the title for the champion, who's Usyk. So he's got to do what he got to do. And and so, you know, again, the 10th and 11th, he had no choice. Uh, that was too, too, you know, it was too widespread uh, in favor of Usyk. And the 12th, he said, hey, I, I got I to gotta freaking jump in here and do what I got to do. And he's the only guy who didn't give that round, obviously, to Usyk, the guy who earned it. So, look, the thank only guy God. In the world that, the only, he's the only guy in the world that saw AJ winning that round. Even AJ probably didn't think he won that round. Thank God we got it the right, but it's not right. It's not right. It's not right. I'm sick and tired of it. And um, I, I really, there's no oversight. See, all the other sports have a commission, a, you know, some kind of national czar commission, somebody who makes sure this crap doesn't happen. But not here, not in boxing. You have all these different, 
uh, omnipotent uh, commissions all over the country. Some of them are more of a joke than others. As you know, some of them try hard, but really, at the end of the day, they don't have any real teeth. Uh, and and some of them are just complicit with this stuff because they go along with the promoters. You know, they allow the promoters to have the judges they want. Uh, you know, whatever, whatever it takes. Because at the end of the day, you don't have a commission if you don't have a promoter. Because the commission is there to do what? To commission boxing. And if you don't have a promoter putting boxing shows on, well, you don't have a commission. So the the commission has to kind of, you know, go along and, and kind of, I hate to say it, but uh, take their marching orders sometimes from these promoters sometimes. Because again, if the promoters aren't giving them work, then there's no sense in having a commission. There'd be no reason to have the existence of one and and the taxpayer's money towards one. So, uh, listen, as far as the fight, again, Joshua goes out and, you know, he, he wins one of the first two rounds. Um, uh, and and then Uzik, I, I forget which round it was that he won. And then Uzik just, Boxes, you know, he, he gives them a boxing lesson again. They all had they all had AJ win in the second round. Yeah, so that's the round I had. I had AJ win in the second round. First round, Tuzik, second round, they, and then, like I said, no more rounds for him until the eighth round. And I, again, I just saw what I saw. I, I saw AJ, yeah, looking to try to be more stronger, more the boss, you know, uh, but not doing it not physically moving his hands enough to do it. You know, not banging him around, pushing him around with the jab, and then banging with the right hand and going to the body early. He went to the body in spots. He wasn't consistent. The only time he stayed there was in the round that he did the most damage in the night. And then even after that, he didn't stay there. So you're going to give him this great credit? Oh, my God, he was so much better. I don't see it. I, I see, again, a guy that was stalking, a guy that was looking, a guy that was posing, a guy that was, you know, looking the part of, but I saw one guy who was doing the part, doing it, it's called boxing, it's called throwing punches, it's called scoring, it's called maneuvering, and, and you know, being in charge, uh, and I, I saw that being that guy up until the ninth round, being Usyk, uh, then the 10th round was magnificent, the way he came back. Oh, my God. And you know what? If he was a little bit of a, he is the smaller man. If he's a little bit more of a puncher, he knocks out Joshua. And in the 10th and 11th round, he did such a magnificent job, Ken, he being Usyk of counterpunching. Oh, my goodness. He was getting and controlling range. He was getting the bigger man to reach, to get desperate, to lunge, and he was countering the crap out of him. And the only thing was he was missing a big finish shot. He was missing a big straight left-hand finish shot. If he would have landed one of those, I think he drops him, and I think he winds up stopping him. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh he he wins. You got to give him all the credit. And you know what? I give credit to the promoter who's been with Joshua from the beginning. Eddie Hearn for being honest. Well, uh, you know, uh, Joshua went into some kind of diatribe. Uh, you know, some kind of uh, 
I don't know, mental breakdown, whatever it was, meltdown, whatever. But he go, he went into this place with, with. For me, he, I could have done without the f bombs. The rest of it, I could, I could kind of figure out my how to get through it. Um, you know, kind of like when it's raining, you put up an umbrella. I get through it. Uh, but. Uh, when the wind comes, then you don't even have an umbrella. And those F-bombs was the wind. But I I give, again, I give credit. You got Joshua saying that, you know, he's evoking the names of former great heavyweights. He's saying he basically don't get enough credit and I'm not this, but I'm that. And basically he's tooting his own horn. He's saying how good he is. And, and he's talking about he doesn't get enough basically respect. He's going all that stuff. And then I give him credit for this. Then he turns it around and he gives credit to his opponent, to Joshua, and he applauds him for his greatness and for the man that he is, the special man that he is. And he, he also, to his credit, he showed class, Joshua, with that craziness in between. But he showed class that... He said that I'll help you, I'll be behind you in anything that you need in your, what you're going on in your homeland with that terrible situation in the Ukraine with the war going on. So he gives him support. He, he showed humanity. And I wish more people would show that nowadays. And, and that was beautiful. And I give credit, I tweeted it. I give credit to Joshua for that. But the part where he's evoking these former great fighters' names, heavyweights' names, and he's basically, you know, going on and on about what what he is and what this and that. And I think that he was trying to make people defensive, where he was putting you on the defensive because he's under a lot of pressure. Yeah, he's a multi-multi-millionaire. But he's under a lot of pressure being built up as a superstar over in England. And I think he feels the pressure, Ken. And I think he was showing it there where he, he hears the detractors. He hears the people that say he's been disappointing, that he didn't live up to everything, that he's been overrated, that he didn't win the big ones. And I think that he was reacting to that pressure that he was trying to switch it around, trying to deflect it, trying to make us, the people that might have been a little bit, um, you know, negative towards him or, or critical towards him in certain, I think, in my case, appropriate ways, but that he was trying to turn it around, spin it around, and make them feel defensive and build himself up a little bit. And... I, I think it got a little haywire and a little wacky, but at the end of the day, he had enough sense to kind of cut it off and just say, this man's great, basically, and then, you know, back him up and act like a man uh, and show graciousness, um, show class. But I'll tell you, Ken, during that little trip to, uh, you know, to the Twilight Zone there, um, the things that he was spouting out, I was, and again, I registered the way I did, but I could see people just kind of like scratching their heads saying, what the, 
what the fuck is going on here? He It's not like it's an hour after the fight and he's been at the pub, you know, shooting a couple down. <laughs> I mean, this is minutes after the fight. But emotions can get you crazy. I think the emotions took him there. Again, we're not in his shoes. We're not in his skin. He's over in a country that has really built him up. The sport is big over there, bigger than it is here, unless it's a huge fight here. Uh, it's bigger than it is here, or it treats fights bigger than it does over here, unless it's a Tyson fight, a Canelo fight, you know, Fury and somebody. But otherwise, across the pond, they make these guys real superstars, and he's a superstar. And I, I've said it. I thought he was overrated. I'll say it again. I stand by it. That fight doesn't change my mind. Matter of fact, it verifies it. That when he had his chance, and I just finished giving him credit, people, but when he had his chance, you know, really to close it out, he didn't close it out. When he could have been stepping it up, going to the body earlier rather than later, he didn't do it, you know? So he came in second again to a guy that has lived up to his potential. A guy who hasn't been overrated, if anything, to a guy who's been underrated. And that's the name of that tune. You know, whether you like it or not, that that really is. I mean, you could, you know, you could get mad at me all you want. I'm here to tell the truth. The truth that I believe from my experience of 50 years almost in his business. Now, does that mean I'm right all the time? No. But it means that I'm putting forward with no agenda no horse in a race. What I truly believe from being in this business most of my life. And I, the thing that made it an exciting fight was the end. Again, it was one-way traffic for me up to then. Like waiting for, again, you're waiting for Joshua to do the things that we expected him to do that we thought that he would do, that people thought he would do, that his potential said he would do. And he didn't do it. He did some of it in the night, but he didn't do it uh, to the level that he needs to, uh, needed to. And that's happened. And, and again, before you, they were trying to put him on Mount Rushmore as a heavyweight over there. And I was like, wait a minute, who do you beat for the title? Charles Martin? Does anybody, anybody... Um, you know, does anybody have his name written down in their house? I don't think so. And and then he goes and he loses, you know, to a last-minute replacement in Ruiz uh, who was, you know, uh, not as chubby as he was the second time, but not exactly, you know, the advertisement that Jenny Craig would use, you know, for, you know, for her product and, and for her classes, right? Not really. Not quite the body that you see for that. And, and then he comes back. He redeems himself uh, in the comeback. And how much of it was him in the comeback? And I give him credit. He, he turned his body. He changed his body. He changed his style. He boxed. He moved. I give him credit for that. But how much of it was that? And how much of it was uh, Mr. Ruiz coming in 280 pounds? Or whatever the hell he was uh, for that fight. So... That's my take on his career. That's my take on that night. 
Um, and I, this guy, Usyk, I'm not counting him out with Fury. Do do I think he's a favorite with Fury? If it ever happened, no. Fury's big and agile and a good boxer and mentally tougher than Joshua, quite frankly. So do I think that I make him a favorite in that fight? No, not at all. He's an underdog, maybe a big one. But do I count him out? No. Do I count this man out of anything competitive in life? In anything in life where you have to overcome to win? No. The man's a winner. And, I, and you know, I, I stand up there and take the fall when I'm wrong. But we were right, Ken, with the fight plan, with our prediction, and we were right on this fight for the right reasons. That at the end of the day, he's, he's a better all-round fighter. He's, he's more, obviously, music we're talking about. He's more well-rounded. He's more dimensional in every area, and he's tougher mentally. He's a winner. He knows how to win. He's been winning his whole boxing life. In the amateurs, winning the gold medal. In the pros, uni- undefeated cruiserweight champ, unifying all the titles other than Evander Holyfield, probably the greatest cruiserweight champ of all time. And then undefeated heavyweight champ. So we we hit this one on the mark. Uh, and and again, I we play around with, with the our brothers and sisters across the pond that we love and we appreciate. But I hope you're... I ate my crumpets when I had to, when I was wrong about the Josh Taylor fight. I did. My wife made them for me. I had them with butter. I ate them. Uh, they were good, though. Uh, it's not like I was being real punished. They, they were pretty damn good. I couldn't eat them now because I'm on this diet. But uh, I hope you guys eating your crumpets. Uh, and I hope you're enjoying them. I, I really do. Uh, and I hope that all of you are really enjoying them, except for that one fan. I don't read the comments, but every once in a while, Kenneth tell me, or my son has told me a couple, and they're beautiful. They're beautiful. But Ken was so on the button, so on the button last week when he said, you know, you got one idiot out there that, that he'll probably, you know, probably say you're racist because you pick Usyk. And sure enough, Ken, Ken was prophetic. Sure enough, there was a guy out there and I'm like, you can't even pay attention to this nonsense. You really can't. You know, you can't pay it. Racism is a strong word. It's a powerful, it's a tough word. It's a word that really, truly embraces a lot of bad stuff. It's a word that signifies a lot of bad stuff and a lot of people that died and a lot of people that suffered. And, and a part of this a time in this country that we got past and and that we suffered to get past and we died to get past so when somebody uses that word it, i think it's ridiculous but i it bothers me i mean it's like how it says what, more about them than it says well, about it does, you but it's like what a moron what an imbecile what a bad person you must be a racist like what a what but to to the point that that one moron that did say, oh, that's why he's picking Usyk. Um, wrong again. But I hope you eat your crumpets and I hope you choke on them. 
but I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I say the truth. I say what I feel. People don't like it, don't come here. But I also hope there's somebody nearby that knows the hemlock. I also wish that too. That the Heimlich, Heimlich. I'm, I'm, I did that for my fans, Ken, <laughs> you know, just to give them the one for the day. The one little play with the Orson Welles stuff where, you know, I'm playing with the English language. Just, but the, the Heimlich. I, I hope that he does choke on his crumpets and everything else that he deserves to choke on this son of a... But you know what? Let somebody know the Hamlet, 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 whatever the frick it is. Ken knows it. Ken saved the guy's life once. So, uh, yep. you know, and everybody should learn it because you never know. Uh, you never know, you know, when, when you might have a chance to save someone and you never know when you might have you know some races choking on crumpets that you gotta that, <laughs> that you even though you you hate what he stands for you hate how weak he is right you hate how whatever and how troubled he is he troubled he is but you want you don't want him to die no and i wasn't gonna say anything about the haters on um the social media but i will say this to the to the idiot who's leaving comments on my instagram Listen, if you want to disagree with me about anything, I'm a very easy person to find. If you want to troll me, do it on Twitter where you can be anonymous. But if you're going to come on Instagram and talk shit to me in the comments section where I have like my personal stuff, it's a cool. Use your own picture. Use your own name. If you're going to be anonymous and hide behind a profile, a fake profile picture, I can't leave the comment there. I can't argue with someone who doesn't have the integrity, the backbone or the guts to be who they are. I don't, you can disagree with me. I'm not saying anything offensive to anyone, but to whatever the guy's name is, Whiskey Dick or Whiskey Sissy, whatever his name was, dude, use your real name, use your picture, and I'll have a a healthy conversation with you, but don't talk shit to me from behind an anonymous thing that you're tweeting in your uh, mom's basement like a coward. Anyway, one quick thing. In in underwear or something worse, something worse. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I'm getting at? You know, uh, something worse, like different kind of comments that men shouldn't be wearing. Yeah. Whatever, whatever, whatever it is. I don't know. Who knows? But put put your pants on, put on some clothes, you know, and send your picture over there, like Ken said, and do it, do it halfway like a man should do it and own up. Teddy, I say this about AJ. I give him full credit for everything. I mean, he's an Olympic champion. He unified. He had four of the five major belts, however many belts. He had them all except the WBC. He's had an awesome career. Usyk's a little bit better than him, but I take nothing away from Joshua, and I can make it, and I can sympathize with him for losing control of his emotions in the ring afterwards. And I thought at the press conference, you know, he started to break down, and I felt for him because you could tell how much he genuinely cared. And the other thing that I didn't really appreciate, and Eddie Hearn pointed this out, is Tyson Fury prides himself on his mental health and his work for mental health and coming back from the brink. But then to be taking shots at AJ when he's vulnerable and down, I just thought that as countrymen, he could have like offered him some words of encouragement. There's a time to hype a fight and there's also a time to help someone when they're suffering. There's no sense kicking him when he's down. He's disappointed. He's he's as as sad as he's probably ever been. But like I said, he's accomplished a lot. He's probably made hundreds, plural, millions of dollars. So credit to him. He's got the most out of his career that he possibly could. And hopefully he'll stick around and do some other great things. But I just don't see him winning against that next level up of Usyk or even a Fury. And um, one last thing I will say. I got a couple of comments about this. And uh, recently from uh, my friend Ben Anderson reminded, reminded me that when we refer to Ukraine, that 
we call it Ukraine, not the Ukraine, because I think the Russians, when it was a territory and part of Russia, called it the Ukraine. And I think some Ukraines take offense to it being called the Ukraine, like calling it the Mexico. Well, I would never want you know, to so, offend any, any, yeah. anybody, anywhere, anywhere, never, anywhere, obviously, especially, of course, uh, our Ukrainian brothers and sisters who are, you know, going through what they're going through over there, which is just. It's just unmentionable, almost uh, unfathomable that a country invades your country, you know, uh, unprovoked, and they start killing people and destroying the country. So uh, we'll say Ukraine from now on. And uh, yeah, but uh, he, he, I tell you one thing for all that's been knocked down and destroyed by the Russians over there, by, by Putin, uh, and his invading army for everything that's been you know knocked down man did this special man named Uzik uh pick up everybody i mean really if yep. if in one moment if you could just somehow reach out and pick up your people when they need to be picked up uh he certainly did that he he certainly did that and he showed what the Ukrainians are all about. They're fighters. They're warriors. They're winners. They're champions. And he, you know, he just made he he just made himself and them proud. And and you could see the legitimacy in him. You could see the sincerity in him. You know, he doesn't get into all this other stuff and everything, you know, even when even when Joshua was going on a little too much, you know, and again, he got to the right place at the end. I give him credit for that. But, it but was, don't forget, AJ also threw two of the belts out of the ring. Yeah, see, I he didn't He took see two that. of the belts, held them out, and then threw them down. The, I think the WBA and the ring magazine belts, he held them both out and then chucked them out of the ring, not like just dropped them down on the apron. Yeah, well, But those are Usyk's belts. Yeah, see, that was a little bit I much. didn't see that. No, that's not class. But I, obviously a knock against the organizations, but still, those are Usyk's belts. No, no. I, I Listen, that the wasn't the class that I, that I saw at the end where he... You know, he said this man's great, and he asked everybody to give a cheer, hip hip hooray, whatever that was, uh, for Usyk. You know, I saw that part. Maybe sometimes I want to see the good, and I don't want to see the bad. You know why? Because there's too much bad to see. So I don't know. Uh, maybe that's what I did. I filtered it out a little bit for that moment. Uh, it's not good to hear that uh, because it is the belts of the man that he just lost to, but. I mean, I could see if he lost his own belts and they had his picture because ultimately you get your belts back even when you lose. The new belts are made for the new champion. But I thought it was a little much. And even if you're angry at the organizations, they still, those are still Usyk's belts. You don't throw them out of the ring. No. And I feel for Anthony. I know he was upset, but you can't no, no, do and it. I, and I, I think, I hopefully I put that forward and I express that properly that I understand his, the pressure he's under, the, uh, you know, being a star over there. Uh, and and for me, his, again, his going bonkers there, saying all this stuff that was confusing to a lot of people, I I I think it was like he was trying to grab a moral victory, you know, with the ninth round. And the guy's so he's he's so banged out and banged around by by you know coming up, not quite coming up to to 
the level of what people expected of him and everything else. And some people saying that, you know, he's been, he's hasn't been what they wanted him to be and blah, 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 whatever. I, and even with all his success, people have obviously looked at the negatives. They look at the, they become detractors and, and, and they look at, and I'm not one of those. I'm the one who I just point out his shortcomings that I thought he was overrated. I, I never had him as a great fighter um, as they did. And, you know, for me, I'm just judging. I'm doing my business. I'm doing my job. I'm a boxing trainer, commentator too. Uh, and I'm doing my job. And I'm, I'm handicapping from my point of view what I have to handicap, you know. And I'm breaking it down the way I need to break it down in all elements, in all phases of it. And if it's too much for some people who are fans or whatever, so be it. That's your that's that's then your prerogative not to listen then or not to agree, like Ken said, and that's fine. But I thought when he was getting into all that stuff, that he was looking for a moral victory that ninth round, and he was trying to kind of use that to kind of batter his naysayers, to to kind of punch back, if you will. He should have punched back more the first seven rounds. But that's what I feel. And and more than the stretch, the championship rounds, as they love to say, the championship rounds. He should have done a little more then, you know, instead of just hanging his hat on the ninth. And I think that's what he was doing. He was hanging his hat on the ninth. Again, people aren't going to like this honesty, at least what I believe is honesty, from my professional point of view, where he was just looking to turn it around, to to make everybody, you know, forget about the things they said about him and all in once to say, yeah, I, I was everything that you said I should be. I was everything I was supposed to be. I was, a, but he wasn't. But I think for that moment, with all the pressure he's feeling, he tried, he tried to make it that way. You know, he tried to, Flip the, the script, if you will. And the script from him being overrated, from him being disappointing in big fights sometimes, to flip it to say, ha, look at me now. Look, what do you say now? Look what I did. But we are looking at what you did. All of it. Not just the eighth and ninth round. All of it. And you didn't do enough. Yeah, That round was real good. But the other guy, when he was hurt, he came back, and he did what a champion has to do. That's why he's a champion. That's why he got the most out of his potential and his abilities. And you can argue that Joshua, in some ways, is more talented physically. But that's not what this is about in life, in anything in life, in any vocation. It's about getting the most of what you have, whatever that is. And that's about being mentally as good as you can be. Those are the guys that get the most. Those are the guys that go further than their own talent. Those are the guys. And Uzik is one of those guys. Let's also remember, I think this goes uh, against underappreciated with Usyk a lot. Every single big fight that he's won has been in the other man's country. Let me just read you the quick list. 
He beat, uh, well, starting with Michael Hunter in the U.S. Michael Hunter at the time was 12-0. and 0. Then he beat Marco Huck, who was 40-4 and 4 in Germany, German kid. Then he beat Bredis in Latvia, Latvian kid. Then he beat Gas- Marat Gassiev in Moscow, Russian. Tony Bellew in U.K., British. Chaz Witherspoon in the U.S., Derek Chisora, Anthony Joshua, both in the UK, fighting on other men's turf every big fight, and he wins, and he's won every single one of them. It's, I think that that's a huge part of the story that doesn't get enough airtime or enough play from the media. That's incredible. Yeah, It's so easy to get a bad decision here and there, and he's won so convincingly they can't even rob him when he's fighting in their country. And to that point, Joshua comes to the United States, to Madison Square Garden, and he gets knocked out. You know, first time uh, and first time, uh, you know, whatever. You, uh, Teddy, there's that, whatever. Uh, to Ken's point, this guy travels to other people's places, other people's countries, other people's backyards, and he gets the job done. And, and you want one reason for it. I just gave it to you five minutes ago, but I'll say it again. He's mentally the real deal. That's what it comes down to. Yeah, he's, he's a more rounded technical fighter too. I said that. But he's mentally, mentally. And that's what it comes down to. For you people out there in your own fights that are losing rounds, that are having trouble, really, the, whatever you're going through, you don't have to cave in. You don't have to submit. You don't have to, again, give in. As the mental part, no matter how you feel physically, how tired you are, no matter how inept you might feel sometimes, if you have a will, there's a way. There's a reason why that's an age-old saying, where there's a will, there's a way. And you know, you hear that saying, you don't know what it means. You just brush it off. It's a cliche. But it's life. It's life. If your will does not say no, you will not say no. You will not lose. Believe me, you'll find a way. It's your choice. It's your choice today. It was your choice yesterday, and it'll be your choice tomorrow, people. And with that, one other choice you can make, Teddy, is a choice to take care of your health and nutritious and health and nutrition. And what better way than with Athletic Greens? Shout out to one of our favorite sponsors, Athletic Greens. Appreciate them for being with us from the beginning. Please go to athleticgreens.com slash Atlas to get 10 free travel packs with your first purchase. I take Athletic Greens every single day. Consider it like a health insurance policy for your body's health and immunity, especially in a time of COVID. You can't get enough vitamins. Make sure you've got all the right vitamins, nutrients, and minerals by taking Athletic Greens once a day. Once again, go to athleticgreens.com slash Atlas. 10 free travel packs with your first purchase. Support the show. We appreciate you. Teddy, let's talk about the UFC. Speaking of UFC. One more thing that was definitely showed itself and it was an influence, it was a factor technically, physically, in that fight. And that was the use of Usyk's southpaw right hook. He didn't use it that much in the first fight. He depended mostly on his jab, obviously his elusive head movement, which he did again, his legs, which he did again. But he depended mostly on his straight left hand from the, from the southpaw backhand, which is, you know, power hand, but he didn't depend on the right hook, which is a great weapon for a southpaw. 
because all the dog fighters aren't used to that punch coming from that angle, from that direction. Your peripheral vision doesn't pick it up sometimes. And he used it. He used that right hook really effective in spots when the bigger man tried to be the bigger man and come forward when Joshua tried. And it, it got his attention and it made him a little more tentative. So I just wanted to put that out there that, you know, he was not only prepared mentally, Uzik, but he was prepared technically, physically, boxing-wise, in all areas. Yep, very good. Let's talk UFC, Teddy. Let's work our way through the main card, starting at the first fight. We'll touch on some of the early fights quickly and then uh, save the bulk of it for the main event because there's a lot to discuss with uh, Leon Edwards and Kamaru Usman. But let's start with uh, from City Kickboxing, one of um, Gene Behrman's charges. Tyson Pedro looked incredible against Hunsucker. Uh, Tyson came into that fight, biggest favorite on the card. I, I forget what it was, maybe six or seven or one. Usually you don't see those in the UFC. And Tyson Pedro blasts him out of there in one minute. He finishes him with a body kick straight down the middle, toes right into the belly. Hunsucker crumbled. It was too much. Just an absolute destruction by um, Tyson Pedro. Another great win for uh, Gene Behrman and the boys down in uh, Auckland. How'd you like it? Wow. Um, in boxing, we put water in the basement. I often talk about that. With punches, Pedro caused a flood with a kick. <laughs> and uh, Pedro took care of business. I mean, it was all one-way traffic here. You know, he I tell you, he acted like he had a date and he was in a hurry to get the hell out of there, <laughs> um, to get out of the octagon, you know. Um, he had <laughs> he had somebody waiting for him. Uh, he took care of He's business. He's getting paid for the job, not by the hour. No, he, he went in there, he got, it, he got the job done. And as I used to say on... ESPN, bang, bang. <laughs> you know, uh, he he took care of business. Nothing else to say about that one. I mean, uh, and Agreed. Eugene, as you said, as always, uh, he's our man. You know, he's been on our air with the great Adesanya, uh, and he... He once again has his guy ready. Yep. Female fight in the next one. Lucy Pudilova, just absolute destruction of Wu Yanan. Uh, one-sided beat down to your point, one-way traffic. Finishes her in the second round with a barrage of elbows, punches. Just a complete beating. Uh, great win for Udalova. Interesting story about Udalova. She came into the UFC. I think she won her first fight in the UFC, Teddy. And then she went on, I believe, give me one second. I believe she went on a four-fight lose lo losing streak. So she gets bounced from the UFC, goes on a three-in-one uh, tear in a, in, a, in a different promotion, comes back and uh, wins in spectacular fashion. Just looked great on the uh, main card. Big spot for her, too, on the on the main card of a pay-per-view event. Big, car, big card for the UFC. Congratulations to Pudilova. How'd you like that? Yeah, excuse, excuse my weakness here for a moment. Um, pardon the pun, but... Uh, put it over, put it over on Yanis. Um, <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I couldn't, I couldn't help it. I give her credit, put it over, where she knew her environment, as I talk about. She knew the geography that made sense for her. And when they were striking and neither one of them really had an edge, um, and there was really nothing shaking. So what does put it over do? She takes it, again, to the geography that 
she she felt that she could dominate, and she was right um, on the mat, and she did just that, and she grounded and pounded, and she she closed it out uh, again, where she felt that she had the greatest advantage. Uh, she was brilliant, ferocious and strong. Yep, I agree. Uh, Jose Aldo, UFC legend in action against Marab Davashvali. I want to hear you pronounce that name three times. Uh, Aldo cost Drake $240,000. Drake bet on Aldo to win. Um, and Davashvali uh, wasn't having it. Uh, he wins a three-round decision. How'd you like that fight? These guys are always so technical and fast and efficient at that weight. But uh, good fight. Clear win for Davashvali. Devislali, first of all, Aldo tried to use his great experience, Ken, uh, to cope with a younger, bigger, stronger, and very aggressive fighter. Uh, he tried to do what made sense. He tried to slow the pace, and um, Devislali just, he wouldn't let him. You know, Aldo knows that he's the old car that can't go on the highway at, you know, 80 miles per hour anymore. You know, he, he, he understands that. So he tries to take the back roads, slow it down, go on the back roads. And Devis Lally, he was, he was trying to go fast, you know, 100 miles an hour, and he was. But he was rolling early on more obvious than Aldo. But Aldo, again, was using his great championship experience and he was staying calm in an uncommon environment and he was placing shots. He wasn't matching shots where Devin Slally was missing a lot and just throwing and, like I said, you know, running the ramps, you know, ramping it up. 100 miles an hour. Uh, he was placing shots, Aldo. And he was hoping that that would be what the doctor ordered to pull off this, to pull off a tough win. A tough win with a bigger, younger, you know, very aggressive, very confident fighter. And he just wasn't able, Aldo being he, Ken, he just wasn't able to land that big enough shot to slow down Devislavi. Um, it just, again, just couldn't land something significant enough. At the end of the day, Devislavi, he was too strong and just too relentless uh, at this point in Aldo's career. At the age that Aldo's at, you know, the amount of miles on his odometer. At this point in his career, he just, uh, he was a little too relentless and too strong and, and too young probably. But I, I want to add this. Aldo showed the class of a legend uh, that he is, obviously, at the end with uh, Devislavi when, you know, he got down on his knees with him on the mat and uh, did what he did, praising him, talking to him, uh, as you would expect from 
the greatness of a guy like that. I mean, that's part of his greatness, to be able to to do such a thing and to be uh, that gracious uh, and that classy. I like it. I liked it. I liked it, what he did at the end. Yeah, both classy guys. Teddy, before we talk about the main event, just a quick shout-out to our friends at Feel Free. Check them out at BotanicTonics.com. Use the promo code ATLAS for 40% off your first purchase. It's a botanic ta- botanic based tonic i love these things i drink them before big workouts and i wish luke rockhold would have had one before the uh before his fight because he needed a little burst of energy uh paulo costa finally gets a win coming off a two-fight losing streak neither guy showed any conditioning here but i'll give him the benefit of the doubt they were fighting in salt lake city but i've worked out in salt lake city and run extensively extensively there rob and i have done endurance events in salt lake i don't think of it the way i think of like uh i don't know mexico city denver um maybe someone will be like don't be stupid it's the same altitude as denver i don't know the altitude i can just tell you from experience i don't think of going to salt lake like i'm at huge altitude nevertheless both guys not Costa, not known for his conditioning. Luke, I thought, would come in in tip-top shape. I know he's working out with Chris Camacho and the legend Julian Edelman down at um, Churchill Gym in Santa Monica. But, uh, yeah, Rockhold needed this win, Teddy. His record in his last... um in his last few fights is basically he's got one win, one, two, three, four, one win and four losses in his last five. He's been stopped in all the losses except the decision of Costa, which if Costa had any conditioning at all, he would have stopped him. But the heart and guts that both guys showed was insane. I mean, I think Luke Rockhold showed that he's a complete and total psychopath at the end when he rubbed his bloody nose all over Costa's face and like mashed his face against Costa's face. There was some obviously some very bad blood, but that was a crazy literally, maneuver that literally, I don't, literally I, I haven't seen anything like that in the UFC. I mean, he was just mashing his own face into Costa's face. <laughs> it was it was troubling to say the least, and there was blood everywhere. They both looked a mess. Tough loss for Rockhold. He announced he's going to retire after the fight. Probably the right move at this point. He just can't win at the next level here, and he's a former champion. He's not going to be fighting. I don't think he wants to be viewed as a gatekeeper, and I like the guy a lot, but Bad performance, bad conditioning. Again, I don't know if the altitude played into it, but um, Costa gets the win. Much needed win for him. How'd you like it? Well, as far as rubbing his face into his face, I... I, That was one of the craziest things I've seen, Teddy. You know, he was making a statement, obviously, you know, and he was also grabbing, again, I'm going to use the same terminology and phraseology that I used in describing the the crazy talking diatribe um, that Joshua went into at the end of his fight where, you know, he was he was grabbing a moral victory. You know, he knew he lost the fight. He knew that... I say this, Teddy. He thought he was grabbing a moral victory. No, no, I'd but say that's he suffered what a moral thinks. loss. Yeah, yeah but yeah, he yeah, was... Yeah. It, it only matters not what you and me think or even our great fans think. What the person that's in that situation, in that pressure situation. It's what they think. That's all that matters. And part of the pressure is what makes them think a little cockeyed sometimes or whatever. But it's it's what produces that thought pattern and that behavior. It's the pressure they're under. We're not under that pressure. And I think after suffering through three rounds 
and showing a tremendous, unbelievable will to get through where he was suffering with fatigue and conditioning or lack of conditioning from, from the outset just about. And he gets through it and he knows he's probably going to be criticized for being tired a little bit, but he knows he's going to be applauded. Well, he doesn't know he's going to be applauded yet to the way he will be for the will that he showed. He just knows how he feels. You know, he feels like he came up short and obviously he's frustrated to a point that he came up short and this is his way of grabbing something back. This is his way of grabbing, again, in his mind, some kind of victory, whatever you want to call it, or revenge, whatever you want to call it, but something that he can hang his hat on, something that he can make a statement with, something that he can say, yeah, look at me. Yeah, I, 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 I lost the rounds, and I lost the fight, but you know what? I acted like a badass. I, I and that's a big part of with a lot of these guys. I, I was I was the gladiator that we are and we're supposed to be. And I'm gonna finish as that gladiator. I couldn't finish as the winner. I couldn't finish as the you know, guy that was in good enough shape maybe to even get it across the finish line. But I will finish by having the last laugh, if you will, having the last word, if you will, and smearing his, my blood all over his face and um, making him a bloody mess too. Uh, because I, you know, that's how I, that's, that's his way of kind of forgetting the past, forgetting what he didn't do, but marking the fight in the way he wanted to mark it. That I'm a warrior, I'm a gladiator, I'm a samurai, I'm a bloody mess, and this is how this is how I behave at the end. I, I share my blood with the guy that I fought. And if nothing else, it's going to make people not talk about his lack of conditioning or his losing every round. It's going to make people talk about Look at this nut. Look at this gladiator. That's look a at, good point, Teddy. Look at this, yeah. Look at this warrior. Wow. Because that's all people are talking about. So it's ingenious. In some ways, innately, instinctively, uh, it's ingenious. And there's how he wasn't in better shape. The, he's a, obviously... Obviously, Costa was in a lot better shape than him, and and he's younger. And look, which is saying a lot because Costa's known for having terrible conditions. Yeah, so he was in a lot better shape, and he looked better physically in this fight. And he's in a lot better he's shape. Also, a than, lot younger. And he's a lot younger. That's why I said, and he wasn't dealing with four years of inactivity too. Let's be fair here, you know. Yep. Uh, right, Rock. Tell me if I'm. Tell me exactly what the numbers are, but. Rockhold was off for four years. Something, whatever it was, it was an it was a huge amount of time. Rockhold's last fight was in um, June of 2019. He got knocked out by Blahovich in February. So before that, he was off for like what's that, 15 months? He got knocked out by Yoel Romero. 
He beat uh, Branch in 17 a year before that and in 16. So basically, one, two, three, four. In, since 16, in six years, he's had five fights and he, lo- he got knocked out by Bisbing in 16. Won a dis- he, he won by knockout in 17, knocked out in 18, knocked out in 19. Had basically three years off, two years, uh, three years off, 19, 20, 21, 23 years. He's off three years and some change. Coming off a, lo- a knockout loss to Blahovich, he's got very bad blood with. He's got bad blood with Dana. Like he's always at odds with the UFC. He's fighting with everyone outside of the cage. Yeah, listen, and he kept his reputation as a bad ass, and and that's part of it. Look at the end of the and as a rebel, as a rebel, he went out as Definitely a rebel. As a rebel, he went yep. out as a rebel. And three years plus of being off and all of everything else, the inactivity, the losses, that's a lot to overcome. That's a lot to deal with. So that's part of, there's no excuse because you get in the ring, you sign a contract, you should, you know how much time you have. It's your responsibility to be in shape. So I'm not making an excuse for him, but I am putting reasoning out there of partly why he wasn't in the best of shape. And what he had to overcome, being older, being inactive, over three years. He's 37 years old. Yeah, all of that. But he, it was incredible. I can't remember the last time I saw an elite athlete at this level, Ken, this gas that fast in their event. Whatever that event is or was, to see them gas that fast. I've... I don't, I think, I don't know that I've ever seen that. Obviously, you should have been doing road work with you and Rob. Uh, and, and, you know, at least his, his conditioning would have been a hell of a lot better. But at the end of the day, it was you and the strength of Costa, you know, versus the guile and experience of Rockhold and, of course, the will. And, you know, uh, and again, what became an X factor, a huge X factor, was the lack of conditioning. There's no getting around. I don't know how much of it, as you said, Ken, was the altitude uh, in Salt Lake City or just plain the lack of preparation, period, because you know where you're fighting uh, and you know what you should, you should know what you got to do to be prepared uh, for a three, five minute round in the UFC, uh, you know. Whether it's in Salt Lake City or whether it's in, you know, uh, wherever. Uh, As I said, I I can't remember if I've ever seen anybody gas out uh, an elite elite athlete at that level gas out that way so fast. Teddy, it was a three-round fight. It wasn't five. No, I said three-round, five-minute rounds. Oh, oh, yeah. sorry. Yeah, no, yeah. it's all right. Because when you three, said it, I was like, oh, shit, was it maybe that, maybe five it. rounds? I started questioning myself. No, no, yeah, three, yeah, five-minute rounds. But yeah, I don't see right. how he could have made five. I don't know. But, uh, oh, I wouldn't have made it. But f- first time a low blow kick uh, was just what the recipient of Rockhole wanted or needed. You know, because it By allowed the way, him- Teddy, one qu- quick question. With that low kick, weren't you surprised he didn't take the full five minutes? I would have just been sitting on the ground and laying on the ground. See, that's he a had good five point. minutes. He took like two. That's a good point. Uh, it, it obviously gave him a pit stop that you don't normally get out, a timeout that you don't normally get uh, in, in this sport. It gave, he, he needed it. it uh, and he needed it badly. Uh, and 
uh, just like you know the desert needs rain i mean or after drought wherever you you need the soil needs he needed that break i was surprised he didn't take the full five minutes but again it shows you as i know it's conflicting because he's not in shape, he's tired, he's out of gas, he's putting his hands on his knees in the middle of the round, crazy, crazy. Uh, and he's gasping for air, and then he gets a chance to get a break, and he doesn't take the full break. But it speaks, again, he's a rebel, he's a warrior, he's a tough son of a you-know-what, and he said, nah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to suffer. I'm, I'm, I'm going to tough it out. And he goes. I almost wonder, Teddy. I almost wonder if he was like, "Nah, I don't need a break because five minutes, even five minutes, ain't gonna help me right now. Let's just get this over with." Maybe, or maybe a combination of, "Hey, you know, let's let's just get back to it because you know, uh, I got my little break, and it's more than I expected to get, and I am a warrior." Uh, the only thing I can hang my hat on the rest of tonight, obviously, is not probably winning. Although he did sneak in a couple of those left hands, you know, out of nowhere. He he snuck in some shots on Costa, which was unbelievable. But I think at the end of the day, he probably said, you know, the only thing I'm going to really have as far as anything, again, that I can hang my hat on is that I'm a tough guy. So let me be a tough guy and let me finish like a tough guy would finish and say, let me keep going and not take the full time. You know, I was laughing. My son, uh, who of course has been in the NFL for 15 years, he said, Dad, if if, <laughs> if, if timeouts were allowed in that sport, he would have spent all of his, you know, <laughs> in that he would have spent, he would have spent timeouts. He would have made a world record out of using timeouts quicker than any sport, any team, any player ever used ever in his career. He would have used every timeout like in a one-minute span. But um, considering the circumstances, uh, you could say that Casas really, and we always pride ourselves in giving the full story and, and not just, you know, where nobody could say, oh, you didn't say this about that guy, Teddy, or whatever. But he... He won easily, but he should have dominated even more, Ken. Yeah, uh, because 100%. really, not just because of whatever his conditioning was, but or wasn't, but just whatever his skills, his attitude, his his opportunity, uh, with a guy impaired, the way this guy was impaired, badly, badly, he should have. He he should have. I thought he should have found a way to do more and dominated more. Um, but I got to give credit, and you did, but I got to give credit to Rockhold for exhibiting, you know, just such heart and will. Um, and, and, you know, Vince Lombardi, the great, great, great legendary football coach, once said that fatigue makes cowards out of all of us. And that's a great quote. But Rockhold never read that quote. <laughs> he obviously no. He's not. He he's not a disciple of uh, of of Vince Lombardi or football, and he never read that because he didn't allow it. And here's the point: I often make, and I'll make it again, that he had that excuse if he wanted it, but he didn't. He could have submitted to that, to whatever it is, whatever your trouble is out there, people. 
You know, whether it's drugs, alcohol, whether it's a relationship, whether it's bad luck, <laughs> whether it's losing a job, whether what depression of any sort, whatever. You can allow that to be the reason, excuse if you will, even though it's real. You can allow that to be the reason to give in, to submit. Or you can say no. And he had the excuse of fatigue. His own fault, but he had it. And he did refuse to allow that to be used. He, he refused to allow that to be used, to give in. And he suffered, but you know what? He suffered so he could walk with his head tall, with his head up as a warrior, as a UFC fighter, as adhering to their code, their code of conduct, to be a warrior, that he could do that. And that was more important than being tired. That was more important than giving into fatigue. And um, once again, these, these gladiators, these samurai, they teach us that there are other rooms in our houses, and I, I tweeted this, there are other rooms in our houses that we can open doors to. And an incredible display, once again, of will. And I'll say my other tweet that I put out there. It was like seeing a kid with a sandcastle on the beach as the high tide came in, except that his sand was mixed with cement. <laughs> his sand, his, the, the ocean would have said, what kind of sand is this? What the freak kind of sand? Kind of like the term, what, what's that movie? That what, What's that um, movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger? The Predator, the original Predator, right? Uh, where the Predator from outer space is killing everybody and he's collecting their skulls as trophies. That's what they do for fun on the planet that he comes from, okay? He, they come down here, they kill us, they, they behead us, they chop us up, and then they make trophies out of our heads. So he's trying to do that <laughs> with Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? In the movie Predator. And he wouldn't give in. Schwarzenegger, look, it's a movie, I get it. But he... There's people in real life that don't give in. And he was playing one of those people. He wouldn't give in. And he didn't give in to this monster predator. And at the end, the predator looks at him as the predator's dying because he hit him with a, a rock and he, and he was finally going to kill the predator. And the predator looks at him and goes, what the F are you? <laughs> I mean, what else would you say to a guy, you know, yeah. that that just is doing something that you don't expect so phenomenal, so unexpected? What, what the f are you? Like, what the like? You're from another planet. Yeah, I am. I'm from Earth. Um, and I I'm Arnold Schwarzenegger, and I get to play tough guys, you know. And and some <laughs> people in life really are tough guys. And they they go and they go and do what they got to do, and once again, as bad as the conditioning was, as bad as the form of the fight was, and it was horrible, it was horrible. <laughs> but and, and it was it was nuts. It was, but that's how great the display again of a man's constitution of a man's will to just not cave in, you know, 
to, yep. to just not say no. And I'll leave it with that to you people out there. Um, never, never say no. At the end of the day, it's your choice to say no. Your choice not to say no to whatever you're dealing with. As I, you know, as I said, and um. Anyway, let's get to that main event. That was pretty crazy. That's a perfect. That's a perfect segue. And during the towards the end, uh, I think DC the towards the end or after the fight said that they were basically writing Leon's obituary. And to a larger extent, I think the UFC has been writing his obituary for a long time. Seven years ago, he lost to Usman. He's won seven fights since. He had the no contest against uh, Bilal Muhammad with an eye poke, unfortunate. But man, Leon has had a streak of bad luck. He beats Nate Diaz, but all anyone can talk about is that he got caught with a shot and was on Queer Street towards the end of the fight. He has Bilal Muhammad. He gets the eye poke. He gets shit for that. He gets into a little tiff with... um, Jorge Masvidal, Masvidal sucker punches him and busts him open. And now all of a sudden, Leon, through no fault of his own, total gentleman, just gets punched in the face. He tur- they turn him into a meme, three-piece and a soda. I feel bad for the guy because he has been getting a raw deal. He's had multiple fights canceled. Now he's in, finally gets in with Usman. He's getting killed for the first four rounds. He's way behind. And he never No, no, I got to correct you. I got to correct you. He won the first round, but go ahead. Go ahead. He won Fair. that first round. But go ahead. He was, the tide he was, was coming behind. in, though, yeah. to your point. The tide was coming in. And then you tweeted this out. Oh, sorry, I put it on Instagram, and it was perfect. When we had him on the show, if you haven't seen the interview, please go back and check it out. We talked about how you talked about how Nate Diaz hit him with a shot by using a, a tactic that you, you referenced uh, Jersey Joe Walcott would distract, and he distracted Ezra Charles with a little pull-up of his shorts and then clipped him. And Leon was listening, and he was like, yeah, I never heard him, but I'm going to go back and watch that. Well, it was like he, he listened to everything you said, and I don't know if Usman's been thinking about uh, boxing matches with he's always calling out Jake Paul, he's calling out Canelo, and he's, his boxing looked nice, but when he fell for the boxing trick as, as, um, as Leon threw like a throwaway jab at him, Usman correctly for boxing slipped his head to the right of the jab. Yeah, I tweeted that. I, he, I tweeted that. Yeah, it, yeah exactly. I, mean, I think you read my tweet, kid. But, um, I, yeah. I, oh, yeah, yeah. No, you you, yeah. you said exactly. Yeah. I'm just highlighting what you said, and, which and is exactly way, what he did. I thought his boxing, I thought his boxing pedigree or teaching, and, and he's gotten good teaching, and he's improved tremendously striking. He has, Usman. But I thought that it hurt him. It betrayed him. It ambushed him because as yeah. you were just saying and as I tweeted and you would just say. I just yeah. want to say you, you tweeted this out and told yeah. him exactly what Nate did to him and he basically did the same thing to Usman and moved him right into the kick and obviously he starched him with the high kick. But with that, obviously, you, you, you pointed all this stuff out. I'm just highlighting what was seen. With that, take it away. Listen, Ken, you said it right. You set the table. Uh, and Usman was setting the table with the jab. He was he was doing a great job striking. Uh, Trevor Whitman, his former he was a former boxing trainer, and now he's a big MMA coach, uh, big UFC uh, striking coach, MMA striking coach. Does a great job. Does a great job. But I thought his boxing degree actually again betrayed him and hurt him. Because when that throwaway left hand came at him, he slipped his head 
to his right to get away from it the way that you would in boxing. But he forgot that this ain't boxing. This is MMA. This is UFC specifically. And there's kicks to worry about. And he moved his head to get away from the what he thought was a punch and was a throwaway punch, but he forgot all about so the kick. So his boxing, his concentration on boxing, and his level of learning boxing to the level he has actually hurt him. It 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 it, it actually, you know, took him down to a certain degree, uh, and added to his demise in this area. And I take nothing away from Trevor uh, Trevor Whitman. Nothing away. I I I respect him. He's a good guy. He does a great job. I already said that. But in the corner, he was telling him, you could hear it. He was telling him to do more striking, not more, you know, grappling, more on the floor to concentrate on the striking. And the one thing when he said that, that's what a boxing coach would say. There's no doubt about it. But I might have wanted to hear the voice of an MMA coach in there too. Maybe. And again, taking nothing away from him. He's doing his job as, from a boxing standpoint. And he's done a great job. And he's improved him. And he's won with him. I'm just saying that at that point, I might have wanted, Ken, an MMA voice too. Because the MMA voice might have said, no, 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 no. Keep him on the floor. Kill time. You can't lose except by knockout. And the best chance of being knocked out is standing, not being submitted on the mat. So an MMA coach might have said the opposite of a boxing coach. He might have said, I want you to kill the clock. I want you to keep him on his back. And if, if that's the way we end it, fine. You, you earned the fight. You earned the right to do that. Let's, get, let's just let's finish up here and get the win and get out of here. And but he's competitive. I get it, and I think a part of what conspired against Usman also was that he got overconfident. You know, I always talk about this, Ken. I want a guy calm. You gotta be, you gotta become calm in an uncalm environment. You do, but never become comfortable. Never feel safe in a dangerous environment. If you're a lion tamer, yeah, you want to be calm in that lion cage and know what the freak you're doing, but you never want to feel safe. It's a lion. And I felt that he got to a place by having the success that he had. I thought success hurt him. That he had the success he had, it almost became too easy. Where... Edwards, we love Edwards, and we had him on our show, and people should listen to that interview. And Edwards, I said to him during the interview, listen, great fight, to knock out a great fighter, you got to set him up. You're not just going to knock him out because you're a good puncher. You're not going to knock him out naked, cold. You got to set him up. And I said, if you want to see a great fighter, and watch tape of a great fighter that did that. Watch the tape of the great Jersey Joe Walcott. How he set guys up. How he set up the great, the great Cincinnati Cobra 
one of the maybe the greatest light heavyweight of all time, one of the greatest fighters of all time, probably had 200 pro, pro fights, Ezra Charles. Uh, watch how he set him up, you know, with moving his hands, moving his shoulders, you know, moving his 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 shorts a little bit and and hypnotized him, got him to look where he shouldn't have been looking, got him to feel comfortable, got him to feel safe for a second where he thought he didn't have to worry and he did have to worry. Then he got, he caught him with an uppercut from above, just like he caught him with a kick from, I mean from below, just like Edwards caught him with a kick below. So I told Edwards, look at that. Obviously, I think he looked at it, whatever. I'm not taking credit for anything. He went out there and he freaking, he had the resolve to still be there after losing uh, solidly in the fight. And, and look, I give you the x-ray of the fight, the whole thing. He was getting broken down mentally a little bit. He was. He was. But he didn't give in. He didn't give in. He didn't say no. He didn't submit. But he was. He was showing signs. His body language. And you know who I'm going to give credit to right here, Ken? I'm going to give huge kudos to. He should get a bonus from Edwards. I'm going to give him a huge credit. I'm, the coach. In the corner... He saw, he recognized that Edwards was mentally starting to fade, starting to get deflated, starting to give in a little bit. And he yelled at him. He did what he had. Sometimes you just give instructions. Simple. Hey, listen, you got to keep this hand up. You got to move your head. You got to be more aware of uh, the left hook. Sometimes you got to motivate. Sometimes you got to wake your guy up. Sometimes you got to shake your guy up. Sometimes you got to remind your guy that he's blowing it, that he's going to a place he shouldn't be, and that pretty soon it's going to be too long to get back to the right place. That's what this coach did. That's what he did. He woke that's and That's Dave shook. Lavelle, I believe. Dave Lavelle, if that's him, Make Ken, sure he gets his credit. He shook, he woke and shook up this guy. He was honest with him. He wasn't one of these jackass. Um, I, I don't mean to be cursing today, but I don't know. Is ass that bad to say? He was one of the. He no. wasn't one of these jackasses that I see in boxing. I see in the corners all the time. Sometimes even in MMA, I see that they want to go along to get along. They just want to howl for their meals. They just want to be buddy treatment with the guy. They just want to be friends with the guy. They just don't want the guy to get mad at him. They just don't want to get fired. They just want to get their paycheck and they just uh, oh you're winning every round what 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 yeah I, I don't know I'm watching a different fight uh, you're doing great champ really really like the old boxing like the old boxing joke where the fighter's getting a crap beat out of him and he comes back and uh, the corner tells him you're doing great and he goes I, really okay do me a favor yeah what's that keep an eye on the ref because somebody's beating the crap out of me all right so do me a favor, keep an eye on him because, I don't know, you're telling me I'm doing great. Somebody, Somebody's putting a whooping on me. And I'm sick of those guys, those cheerleaders, you know, those guys. Where's my pom-poms? Nah, never mind. I, I'm tired of those guys. This guy told him the truth. This guy did his job. This guy won the fight. Yeah, I know Edwards won the fight. And, I, and, and we love him. I love him. And I'm proud of him. And I'm happy for him, the decent human being that he is, the humble man that he is, his story, everything.
I'm so happy for him. By the way, Teddy, that guy's been with uh, Leon since he's a teenager, I believe. He, he uh, When he joined Team Renegade in Birmingham, uh, this guy Dave Lavelle's been with him, almost like a father figure to him for years. So it's so great, too, to when you see these guys come up and they stay with the same coaches and they bring them along. Even if they add to the arsenal of other coaches, they don't shit-can the guy who's like helped get well, him let to me where tell he you is. Something. I like I, it. I, I hear it. you. Let me tell you something. Marvin Hagler was loyal all the way through. A lot of people were knocking on Petronella oh, yeah. and saying you should get rid of him. You get rid of these white guys. Marvin Hagler, for those those people living in the cave that don't know, he's he, he was a great black man, by the way, and and one of my favorite fighters of all time, and maybe the greatest southpaw of all time, and and maybe the greatest middleweight of all time. Definitely right up there in the top two or three. And and Marvin Hagler. With all of that, and Petronelli's put him in a lot of tough fights that maybe other people wouldn't have put him in at certain points in his career in Philadelphia, out of town, you know, where he even lost some, but he came back and he won him. He became, he became Marvin Hagler. That's what happened. But a lot of people were knocking the Petronelli's. Marvin Hagler stayed with him. And I, to the day he died, when I said a tribute to him on ESPN, and it's probably still up there if anyone wants to see it, but when I said a tribute to him, to this day, I, I stand by this, that, yeah, Marvin Hagler was strong. He was a great fighter. He was technically solid. He could fight inside, outside. He could counterpunch. You know, he had a great granite chin. He had a great heart. He had everything, and he was a southpaw. But I felt that his greatest strength was his character, and part of the strength of that character was his ability to be loyal to people when it wasn't easy to be loyal, when it would have been easier, more convenient to to go somewhere else and to listen to all these naysayers and maybe go somewhere else with someone else who offered him money, that offered him other things. He was smart not to at the end of the day, but he was loyal. He was strong. And I believe that that same strength that we show in our life, that we show in our everyday character, or we don't show, I think that it, it, either, it either comes back to sabotage us or it's there to strengthen us. It's there to propel us. It's there to rise us up. It's there to lift us. It's there to make us succeed. And I believe that his ability to be loyal, to show that strength of character, was part of Marvin Hegler's strength as a fighter, as the great fighter that he was. And... um. And why Teddy Atlas and other people still talk about him when he's gone. And he was gone way too early. So, I, I, he made the right decision here uh, to keep that guy. Because that guy, without that part, he doesn't get to the next part. He doesn't come out uh, a little better. He, he doesn't get through what he was going through. The doldrums. The, the being down. The... the the, maybe the little thoughts of, you know, I'm losing, I'm, I'm giving in a little bit. Um, maybe that goes further. This coach did his job. He, he did his job. His job was to do what he did, not to do anything else at that point, technical, to tell him, hey, behave like a pro. Get yourself together. And then when he saw that he wasn't responding, Ken, he grabbed him and made him look in his eyes. He looked in his eyes. He made him look because he made sure he was going to hear it. He made sure that he was going to get what he needed to get. The truth. The truth. And it woke him up. 
And it really, I think it saved the day. And then, so he's down three rounds to one. He, and to break the whole fight down for you people, Edwards, I, in the lead up to this fight, the handicapping of this fight, me and Ken, I, I picked Usman to win. But I said it's going to be a tough fight. It's going to be a competitive fight maybe even a dangerous fight, but a tough fight, a competitive fight. And I compared it to our buddy, our friend, the great Dustin Poirier, when he fought McGregor the second time. He had lost to him six years earlier. You know, he got knocked out by him. And everybody was saying McGregor's going to win again. A lot of people were. And I remember saying on our air, when I was breaking down that fight, Ken, and you remember it, where I said, this ain't the same guy. This, if McGregor thinks it's the same guy, he's more mature. Obviously, he's more grown up. He's older. He's better. He's more seasoned. You know, he's just a more developed person, man, and fighter. And, of course, Dustin showed that, and he, he knocks out McGregor uh, in, that, in that rematch. And I was kind of using that as an analogy, as a sort of a comparison when I was breaking this fight down, that, hey, for those people that think Edwards is the same guy he was seven years ago or anywhere near it, you're, you're way off. He's a different guy. He's more mature. He's tougher mentally. Obviously, he's more experienced. Uh, he, he's a better fighter. And he's a more together man. Everything. And he did what he had to do in the first round. The first round, he had to send a message, Edwards. He had to go out there and send a message to Mr. Usman, the great Usman. He had to say, I'm not the same guy. I'm a different guy. I'm, I'm not the guy you beat and you manhandled or whatever um, seven years ago. And he sent that message. He won the first round. The second round, Usman sent the message that great champions sent. He, he came back and said, yeah, but I'm the champion. Yeah, you're better, but I'm better. I'm the champion. It's my home. It's my house. I, it's, it's my way. And he came back and established what he had to. He knocked out of the box the first round, and he took control. And then he maintained control by striking, by mixing it up on the floor. Here's a point that Joe Rogan made. I know hindsight is 50-50. I get it. But let me tell you something, Ken. Rogan made a point. When, when hindsight's 20-20. 20-20, I'm sorry. For me, it's 50-50. Um, <laughs> when, when he, when Usman had him on the floor and all the commentators, the great DC, the great John Adden, all of them, they were really good. Uh, and obviously, uh, 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 Joe... Um, Rogan? Yeah, Joe Rogan. Uh, they're all tremendous at what they do. And when he, when he had him on the floor on the mat, uh, Usman, and he was controlling him, they were given accolades, all three of the commentators, appropriately giving accolades all night about Usman, how great he is, how he's the greatest welterweight of all time, which I agree, I think most people, one of the greatest MMA fighters of all time. And they're giving all these accolades, 
And the one thing that Rogan said that I think I've missed by a lot of people, he said, you know, the only thing this guy's missing, Usman, the great Usman, is he doesn't have like a finishing submission technique. He doesn't have that one technique to to finishing, you know, he submits a lot of guys, don't get me wrong, but he don't have that killer move, you know, like like some people have to triangle uh, uh, hold, some people have to guillotine, some people, you know, that that's their signature move. And he said, he he doesn't have the one out move, the one the one closing move, you know. I mean, he gets you out of there with his strength and his overall ability, and he's he's so well rounded. He you know he dominates you, and he get rid of you. He knock you out the way he knocked out um, uh, Masvidal. You know he submits you like he has many guys, but he doesn't have that one signature thing that you just want. He can go to and it's lights out. It's over. Turn the lights out and. Later on, when it was over, I thought back to what he said. And you know what? If he had that one, even though he was controlling him on the mat, if he had that one move, he wouldn't have been in the situation in the fifth round he was. So that was one thing that Rogan said. And then there was another thing that... And again, to handicap the fight, after the second round, he took control, Usman... He was mixing it up. He was jabbing. He was setting the table with the jab. He was doing a marvelous job striking, marvelous job on the floor when he was on the floor. He was doing everything, showing his dimension. And he was starting to wilt. He was starting to wilt the spirit and maybe even the body of Edwards. But Edwards didn't cave. That's the key. He didn't cave. And then again, he had that great corner man when he needed him. Because you need him. You know, you might not need him nine out of ten fights, but that tenth fight, you're going to wish you had him if you don't have him. And he had him. But when these huge upsets happen, whether it's in other sports, in team sports, individual sports, whatever, with any, any sport, any athlete, when these huge upsets happen, there's got to be some intangibles there's got to be some fate particles of molecules of fate um of of just you know destiny in the air and there was particles of that in the air there has to be that that just certain things that happen just like when buster douglas upset tyson you know he there were particles of fate in the air you know, his mother, Buster Douglas, beloved mother, had died uh, before that fight. And 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 he just, he was going to be stronger than he ever been. He was never a strong guy mentally, Buster. Physically, yes. Technically, yes. He was a tremendous heavyweight. But when push came to shove, he got shoved. He did. Because mentally, he wasn't tough enough, wasn't stronger. But he never had the strength that he had given to him by his mother passing, the strength to be strong for the memory of his mother. He never had that before. And he was strong that night. And it was in the air. There was something in the air. It was something. And that's what happens. And there was something going on in this fight. And sure enough, first of all, there was a low kick low that broke up the action. Just the rhythm of the fight broke it up. Just just for a moment where 
actually, uh, who was it who threw the low kick? I guess it was Edwards, right? And um, uh, who, whatever it was, was it Edwards? I think it was. But it was just a break in the action. Change the rhythm. Just change the rhythm a little. But here comes the big one, Ken. And nobody's talking about this. And here's the big one. I think this should go viral. Really. I think uh, Rob's going to clip it and put it out there. Because uh, Joe Rogan was almost prof- prophetic when he said this. He, th- it was about two minutes left. Don't hold me to it. But it was about two minutes left. He got knocked out with about a minute left, 59 seconds left, if my memory serves me. Right, Ken? Something like that. Yep. So, so maybe it was around the two-minute mark. And again, it's all one-way traffic, right? It's, it's, all, it's, all Mr. it's all Mr. Usman. And they're on a mat, and the referee decides to bring them up. It's his decision. It's a great ref, by the way. Great ref. One of the great refs. And I think his name is Herb Dean. And he decides... That's right. He decides to bring him to the bring him up to a striking position. And as soon as he did that, Joe Rogan, and that team is great, but Joe Rogan immediately said, this is what he needs. He better, he better do something now. This is the situation he needs. Because Rogan understood what I understood and what anyone should understand, that he wasn't going to win on the floor he wasn't going to submit Newsman. His only chance was a pen, punch out of the heavens, was a lightning bolt out of the sky. It turned out to be a kick um, from below, um, not a lightning bolt out of the sky. But it did the same damage. But Rogan understood, and so did Edwards, that his only chance was to be standing where he could deliver the Hail Mary pass. The, the pass that Doug Flutie delivered for Boston College when he won the national championship. Well, what a huge win that was when he won the college national championship, when he threw a Hail Mary with the clock ticking down to zero into the end zone and it got caught by the right color yeah, jersey. I, I, I don't think they won a national title there, but it was a huge, important game well, it was Miami a ball win. against BC. Uh, it was a ball yeah. win. All right, thank you for correcting me. Thank you. But it was a huge, huge, and it was such a big win that people still talk about it, and it made the legend of Doug Flutie. And then he went into the USFL, he went into the NFL, and a little guy, a small guy, but he, he, did, what, he, he did what big guys do. He won. He did what little guys do if they want to. He won. He found a way for a little guy to win and to behave like a big guy uh, in a little they guy. Won the 1980, they won the 1984 Orange Bowl with that throw. All right. That's what it was. Thank you. And it was, it was huge. But it was time for a Hail Mary kick, not a pass. But the same idea. The same idea, guys, girls. And... To throw the Hail Mary, he had to be standing or to kick it. He had to be standing to kick the winning field goal. He had to be standing. So Rogan was so on the point, oh my God, when he said this is what he needs. Basically, this is his last chance. And he better do something. And you know what? He ticked it down a little bit. 
He ticked a minute away, but <laughs> then he did it. He did it. And to his credit, he executed it perfectly. After all the damage that had been done that night, after all the being down mentally, you know, a little bit, and, and being behind, he knew he was behind. After all of that, he didn't give up. He didn't give in. He didn't lose faith. faith. And he listened to his coach. He got woken by his coach. They're partners in this. But he did the, he did the fighting. There's no doubt about that. And he went out there and he seized the moment. He saw that this was his moment. This was his moment. I think he even recognized, I'd love to have him on the air again. I think he even recognized the guy was a little complacent. I think he even recognized that the guy was feeling safe in an unsafe place, that he was in a lion cage with a lion and he forgot it was a lion. He forgot he was in there with a lion. And you know what? Edwards was about to freaking take his, take his claw his back claw, and remind him, I'm a lion. You're in with a lion. You shouldn't be sleeping on me. And I think for that split second, that split second, you want to say he was taking things for granted, Usman, the great Usman. He was thinking, he was counting down the seconds, whatever. But I think there was a tiny bit of a little lapse, just a little lapse. And... This man was there to take advantage of it. And he took advantage. He executed at the moment of execution. The, it had to be at that moment. And what did he do? He threw a right hand. Uh, you know, he even threw the right hand first. You know why? To sell the left hand. Because usually when you throw a left, it's set up by the right. If you're a southpaw, right? It's set up by the jab first, then the left hand. So he really sold it with both he threw the right hand to make it look legitimate okay here comes the left and and again Usman the boxing all his boxing acumen hurt him I think because he said oh yeah there was a little jab here comes the left hand I'll slip it but I won't ever expect the left foot and the left foot came out and just like that bang and you know what to paraphrase the late great Yogi Berra, it ain't over till it's over. And um, <laughs> wow, one of the most spectacular one punch or one foot knockouts ever. You know what? It was reminiscent to me, Ken. You know, my life is boxing. My life is fighting. Everything is reminiscent about a fight. <laughs> you know, everything's attached to fighting, fighting, fighting. You know, uh, sometimes my wife says, can we stop? With the fight, not you and me, honey. It's 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 everywhere else. It's everything's cool here. We're you know it's just uh, you know it's everywhere else. There's fighting going on, and and I I I just you know I'm just seeing it and feeling it and preparing for it if it comes my way. And the fight that struck me, and I tweeted this, was years ago. Big John Tate, that was his uh, fighting name, for Mike Hercules Weaver. Hercules Weaver, boy, he had an Adonis body, as you would think. That's why he was called um, Hercules. And Big John was big. And Big John was from Tennessee, where you live. And Ken, do me a favor. All the people out there, find this clip. Really, I'm, I mean it. Because it was a real-life Rocky. This was real-life Rocky Saturday night with Edwards and Usman. No doubt about it. But this was the first real-life Rocky where 
Tate, it's a 15-round fight back in those days. Still 15, not 12. And John Tate, and that's the argument. Some people would say, oh, fights were 15. Certain guys wouldn't be champions. Other guys would You're right. You're right. You're right. But fights are 12 now. They're not 15. If the fight had been 12, John Tate would have still been heavyweight champ. But it wasn't. It was a 15-round fight, and Weaver was way behind. I don't know. He might have lost almost every round. But he was way behind. And there was, I, I don't know how much time left, but very little time left in the 15th round. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, just like that kick, a left hook. Oh my goodness. Ken, Ken, you got to look at this. A left hook came I see this still. I uh, see uh, the still of the uh, guy uh, who got knocked out just uh, like starched big, face down. Big John, that's probably my man Rob doing his job getting something up there. But Big John Tate gets hit with this left hook from Mike Hercules Weaver, who was behind on all the scorecards. He hits him a left hook and he starches him. He's out cold before he even gets halfway to the mat. Out cold, falls face first, Big John Tate. And that's the fight that this, that's how sudden this fight, that's how dramatic, that's how unlikely, that's how crazy this knockout was. It's making me lose my voice. I mean, it, it was so crazy. <coughs> It was so crazy. So, ha, ha, I'm not being dramatic, everyone there. You know, I'm just, I need a lozenger. I, I tell the people, go look at that and tell me if that doesn't remind you of how dramatic this fight was. Congratulations to Mr. Edwards. We love you. Um, congratulations to Usman. You're, you're, you've been a great champ. You're going to come back, I'm sure, the way champions come back. Um, with everything you got, but congratulations to just a humble, decent human being. Uh, you earned it. You deserve it. Enjoy it. Uh, and and again, you teach us all, my men. You teach us all. Never say never. Never give up. Yep. That pretty much sums, sums it up, Teddy. And we're going to uh, hopefully we'll have another conversation here in the next couple of weeks with Leon Rocky Edwards. Great guest. Like you said, just a completely humble, genuinely nice guy. And I uh, couldn't be happier for him. And at the same time, I like Usman too. I, I love the uh, that three-headed African monster that was uh, Usman, uh, Adesanya, and Nganu. Um Love to see the African countries doing big things in the UFC. Um, but great win for Leon, and uh, look forward to the rematch. That's going to be an interesting affair. Be curious to see what that line looks like, because I thought when Usman, even Rocky, maybe won the first round, but I thought the rounds that Usman won, he really dominated. So it'll be interesting to see them uh, get back after it. I'm sure they're going to get an instant rematch. Can I add in one thing here? Of course. I gave these great accolades to you know DC, the, the team that's at the that's at the plate, if you will, that's at ringside, John Anik um, and Joe Rogan. They deserve it. John Anik, Boston guy, doing yeah, a great Boston, job, um, making um, us proud. Can't hold Boston against him, but, um, <laughs> but he's, he, he, he's great. Uh, and, you know, I, I have to give credit to the guys also that talk after the show. 
where they have a tough job. They got to go in the studio on and uh, you know on the set behind the desk, and they got to wrap it up for us. And not everybody's always there afterwards. I was there, and I'm glad I was, because another man who's been on our show, uh, Anthony Lionheart Smith, who's obviously he's not called Lionheart. You know, he's called Lionheart for a reason, right? Because he'll he, beat you up in the ring, and if you try to break into his house at night, he'll beat you up there too, which he's done. Which he should, and which he should, and which would, <laughs> which would um, dissuade um, other people from doing such reckless things and wrong things. Teddy, so, can, you, uh, can you imagine the poor bastard telling someone like, yeah, well, I'm telling his drug addict friends, because only a drug addict breaks into yeah. someone's house while they're home. It's so <laughs> disgusting. Yeah, right. But can you imagine him? Hey, uh, Joe, I break into this guy's house, and what do you know? It's a UFC fighter, and he beats the shit out of me from pillar to post, but I was so whacked out, I took the whole beating, because he did. Lionheart said he beat the guy bad, and the guy just kept coming, like whacked on drugs, so say no to drugs, guys. Yeah, please, And please. Don't, rob, don't rob UFC fighters. Yeah, please. And listen, as long as Ken opened that door, I'm going to go through it. Um, and if you are on drugs... Um, find a way to get off them. Uh, you can do take, it. Take all the help that's given you, but most importantly, dig inside yourself. It's there. Believe me, it's there. You forgot it's there. The drugs make you forget. You forgot it's there, but you get hopeless. You get hopeless. You forget it's there. That that humanity, that toughness, that that person is there. He he's still there. The drugs are trying to make you think he's not there. But he's there. She's there. Point. So please, please, please. If you're on drugs, if you're going through that tough fight, we always talk about fights that don't have to be in a ring. Please don't give in and and allow that person that used to exist to exist again. And I'll tell you this. When, when people see that you are trying to help yourself with those kind of struggles, I promise you, you'll get help from the most unlikely places. But no one's going to help you. When it comes to drugs, you have to want to do it. No one can make you do it. No one can talk you into doing it. It will take precedence over everything in your life, your family, your kids. I've been there. It ain't easy. But when you take the first step, you'll be surprised where the help comes from. But you got to help yourself first. No one wants to be involved in a losing proposition. But when they see you're up against it, they'll be there. And I'll finish with this. Again, Ken opened the door. Great. Um, he, he said everything true. I'll finish with this. Uh, piggybacking off the words of Ken. That I ask you a straight question for a moment when you're sober, a moment when the drugs aren't completely dominating you. If somebody came in and spit on your mother, spit on your father, spit on your siblings, called them disgusting names, completely violated them, completely abused them, if somebody did that, would you ever, would you ever let that person into your life would you ever let that person into your house? Of course you wouldn't. Of course you wouldn't. Well, drugs are that person. Drugs are that person. Drugs are violating your family. Yeah, yeah, because they're going down with you. And they're destroying your family. They're spitting in your family's face. We don't care about you. We only care about doing what we having fun with the guy that I have control over. 
you know, taking him to hell and controlling. That's all we care about. We don't care. Two. And they spit on your mother. They spit on your siblings. The drugs spit on your father. They spit on you. They act like they're your friend, but they're not. They, they spit on your whole family and your whole world. And again, they violate your world. They abuse your world. They abuse everybody that, that is sacred to you in that world. So all I can say to you, again, because really people are going to say, wow, Teddy's really, Teddy's really, he's, he's really all in on this. Yeah, I'm all in. Yeah, I'm all in. Because I know people that have been down this path, okay? And are still down this path. So, I'm just saying that look at it. The drugs in the way that I just described them. The same way you look at a person who's doing all these awful, horrible things to your family. You wouldn't let that person in your life. You'd kick them out. Kick drugs out of your life. So having said that, Anthony Lionheart Smith, uh, he, was, he was on the desk and he made a brilliant point. And I talked about all the brilliant, and those guys, who's those three guys? You, sometimes it's the girls, sometimes it's the writer, uh, and then it's also the other fighter, former fighter. I'm trying to think who they all are because I, I'd like to mention all their names because they're all great. But Anthony Lionheart Smith, after the fight, just like Joe Rogan made those unbelievable comments that were brilliant, he made a brilliant point. He said that Edwards, um, and, and Edwards didn't get credit for this, but he said that he had been using sweeping leg kicks earlier to set up Usman by making him look for the kicks below so when it finally came up high, he would never expect it. That was a brilliant point. That was a brilliant point. A point that I kind of missed because I look at everything above, you know, from the boxing standpoint, through those that prism, those glasses, those eyes. And that's, that's an unbelievable point, Ken, because Edwards was throwing leg kicks and he was getting the attention of... of uh, Usman down below. Now, it was his intention to wait till there was one minute left and then set him up with a with a with a shot to the head to knock him out? I don't know about that, but I do know that it was probably his intention somewhere along the line that he's throwing these leg kicks to set up something high. To yes, to take his legs away. Yes, you know, so he couldn't get set to strike so well. Um, that was part of it too. I'm sure. But I really believe Anthony Smith really, really hit it on the hit it on the nose. For sure. And while we're giving credit, I also want to give credit to Ariel Hawani, who doesn't get any official love from the UFCs on the outs with them, but who, for my money, is like one of the best independent uh, commentators or, yeah, or journalists covering you covering the UFC. He's a good person, and he does a great job, and he gets the killer guests. Even though I like to get try and scoop him occasionally, uh, one of these days we'll get him. But the guy's on top of everything, and he does a great job. We we can't complain. We get all the top guys in the UFC. We get top guys like Crawford and Triple G. By the way, we got Triple G coming up again uh, in an interview yep. in a couple weeks. But um, we get we get all the top guys in boxing. We get all the top guys in the UFC. Um, yeah. 
And Teddy, shout out to Dave. Shout out to Dave Lockett over at the UFC who helps us um, get arrange guests from the UFC. He's shout a good out, person. shout He's out to Charlie Monahan who set that up. Oh, yes. Of course, he set that Thank up. You, he, Charlie. he gave us that connection. Thank you, Charlie. Yep. Thank you, Dave. Um, and and thank you, uh, Hawani, uh, for doing the work you do and doing it with the class, with the class um, that you do. Uh, it's and the consistency yeah. that you bring to this game. Uh, thank you for that. So it's been a long one, Ken, but you know what? It was a deep one. Um, we hit on a lot of fights uh, in and out of the ring, um, but we hit on the fights in the ring. Uh, the two big ones, of course, the Usman, the Joshua, and Uzik, the Usman and Edwards. Uh, I, I think that the fans are going to enjoy it. I I hope they do. And uh, thank you for just uh, sharing it with me and being with me and all our fans out there, all you people across the pond too. Uh, I'm sorry that your guy lost again. I'm glad we were right. Uh, I'm not trying to put salt in a wound, but... I do hope that you uh, enjoy your crumpets because, you know, I had to eat mine. Um, some of you guys have to eat yours. Yep, and with that, guys, like Teddy said, it's been a long one, but I hope you enjoy this one. If you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe to the show. It helps us a lot. We appreciate you. Support the sponsors, Athletic Greens, and feel free. And with that, we'll be back next week. We've got some excellent interviews coming up for you. Uh, you'll see who we got here soon. But thank you for being with us, and we'll see you next week.